If you have your Bible this morning, please turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. We're going through this letter that Paul is writing to the Colossians. His most important thing is to make sure that we know what the most important thing is. And that's Jesus, that Jesus is supreme. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And that in all that supremacy, he used everything that he's got. And by the father's will, he came and risked his life, put his life on the cross in order that he might exchange with us. He took our death. We get his life. We get his holiness. We get his family. We've been talking a lot about the theology of that, and now we're kind of turning into how does that rubber meet the road? And I know a lot of times, especially when I'm preaching, people will say, but tell me what to do. Well, now you're going to get it this morning. We're going to get to there this morning, uh, how this rubber meets the road. Um, as you're turning, I just want to um, uh, share something with you that will tie into this story. But I mentioned a couple weeks ago that, that sometimes Katie and I like to go walking or running, and and so we'll get out there, and we've noticed that as we walk around this route that's in Four Oaks, it's about a, a mile and a half loop. So we go a couple times around, we get three miles. And um, as you go around and around day after day or however long you do it, you begin to learn houses and neighbors and you also learn dogs. And um, there's dogs here and there and most of them it's great. They're inside a fence or they got a, a shock collar on, they're great. But there's this one house that has this one dog who's not bound, he doesn't have any shot collar on, and when you go by, there's many times when he'll come after you. Now, that dog has come out at me enough, and we call him Tumor because he's got this big, ugly tumor that's on his rump. It's awful. Um, we call him Tumor. We don't know his name, and he's, he is like a cancer to me. And um, so we'll be running, and, and Tumor will come out, and he's barking, and he's ferocious, and he's, he's just on you. And so I've got this thing where when I'm, when I'm running through Four Oaks and I know I'm coming up to where Tumor's house is, I know that it's there. And I've come up, I was sharing with Katie the other day while we were walking, I said, I- I've got to tell you something. It, it may be kind of embarrassing, but I've got this plan. I've, I've come up with a plan so that when Tumor, this ferocious, he looks rabid, you know, he's coming at me. I've got this plan. I'm, I'm going to take this dog and before he can get on me, I've got this plan where I'm going to get him by the hind legs. Now, I don't know how I'm going to do that exactly. I'm going to get him by the hind legs. And I'm going to look like one of those discus throwers in the Olympics. I'm just going to take him by the hind legs. And I'm going to start swinging around and swinging around. And as I'm swinging, I'm going to find a tree nearby. And I'm just going to throw that dog. And he is going to hit that tree. And he's going to fall to a lump on the ground. And he will be dead. That is my plan for tumor. Uh, pray for tumor because he's only about this big. I mean, he's he's not a big dog. That's why I think I can get him by the hind legs. I can do this. A tumor is not going to get me. I've seen him go after my kids on their bikes. I've had enough of tumor. I know the beast is coming and he may be small, but he can inflict pain. Uh, he could probably take me down, but I know that he's there. And this morning, I just kind of want to put that out there uh, to beware of dogs, uh, but also uh, tumor's going to die. <laughs> now, <laughs> apart from that, I just want to make a quick apology. I, I realized last week, uh, after I preached the sermon and I always, I always ask, I think that the Lord would, would take over my mind and my heart and my lips to speak only what he would ordain. But I, I, I don't know if it was him or whether it was me, but last week I realized I skipped a verse. 
I preached Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And then in the middle of it, I went down. I was so excited about what was coming with Jesus coming back in verse 4 that I missed verse 3. I never mentioned verse 3. And it's one of the most important ones in this passage, even though there were things we mentioned that apply to those things. I never actually read it. I want to read it real fast because it's important for where we're going today. It says in verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, you have died. So it, it spoke earlier to set your mind on things above. That's Christ to seek God, Christ who's above. But then he goes and says this, that you've died. If you're in Christ, if he has saved you, you're no, you're no longer living for yourself, for your own flesh. You're a new man, a new creature, as the scripture says. And we'll say later on in this chapter, but you are dead. But your life now, it says, is hidden with Christ in God. Now, let me tell you something that's special about that, because when it says that your life is hidden in God, it's not as if you're irrelevant anymore. It's not as if he's as like he's trying to make sure that nobody sees how quirky and awful and sinful you are. But he's done something good in you. And usually when that word hidden is using in the scriptures here in the New Testament, it's talking about taking a treasure and hiding it away for the purpose of making sure it's safe secure and protected. And so I love that, that when we have come to Christ, you're dead. All that was awful and everything that was going to take you towards a pitiful place, that's gone. And now that he's given you life, it's hidden in Christ. You are a treasure because of Christ in God. And he has hidden you to protect you, to keep you safe and preserve you for his purposes and what he wants in this life and the life to come. So he can use you in this life, in other people's lives right now. He's trying to protect you and and keep you. And then into verse four, until that day when he appears. So I wanted to make sure I got verse three because it's important today. And also important is my story about tumor, because then we get to verse five. And this is where the rubber meets the road. He tells his audience in verse five, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Those things are vile. They're wicked. We'll get to that list in a moment. But even before you get to that list, Paul doesn't take chances. He knows that as you run this course of life, that as you go out there, that there are beasts around every corner. They're not as small as tumor. They are out to kill you. They are out to take you down. And Paul says, you need to put them to death. I've heard stories of of y'all and your encounters with beasts. I've heard from from uh, Danny Wood over here about what he does to snakes. Right. You pulled a gun on one. I know you have. Because you knew when you were coming against something vile, you couldn't just sit there and handle it and think that you wouldn't get hurt. You couldn't just take it up and cuddle it or pretend or you couldn't stick it in your pocket. No one else will know, but I got it with me. You take that beast and what you do, you cut its head off. You shoot it with the gun. You get Rid of it. If you need to, you grab it by the hind legs, do the discus throw, and throw that thing against the tree. Put it to death. And he comes here and he begins with this list. Now, he goes to this list. He says first, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. The word that's being used there is fornification. 
It means anything that's not according to what God approves of in the realm of sex. That's right, we're going there. You see, too often the church has not talked about sex. I don't remember one time growing up in the church hearing about it. And some might think, well, my, my kids are here. Are you, are you sure we can talk about that? Listen, if we're not going to talk about it, the world is. And our own hearts do. And that's just the way it is. And so we need to talk about this. And to talk about it, we need to know what does God define sex as? Because it is godly. And so this morning um, in our Sunday school class, I think we probably had the best Sunday school class of all the Sunday school classes today because we came up with the definition of godly sex. And we went through the scriptures looking at godly sex and how is it defined. So what we're doing today, uh, guys, if you could flash this up on the screen. This is the definition we came up with with godly sex. And, and the reason we need this is to know what's foreign. What isn't this? That that is what sexual immorality is based on. So this says godly sex an intimate, consensual act created by God to be experienced by one husband and his one wife, demonstrating purity, devotion, and union as one flesh for the purposes of enjoyment, procreation, and ultimately to glorify God. Okay, I want to read that again just so we make clear where, where, where we're going from today. This is the standard. This is what God has done. Godly sex, an intimate, consensual act created by God to be experienced by one husband and his one wife. You could actually switch those by one wife and her one husband demonstrating purity, devotion and union as one flesh for the purposes of enjoyment, procreation and ultimately to glorify God. Pastor, are you sure you can say those things? Yeah, those are all from the Bible. That, that was from the Bible. God, God created sex and he created it for those purposes within that relational union between one man and his wife or one wife and her husband. That that's what it would be. And the ultimate purpose, as it said, was to glorify God. That's what God did. He created sex. In fact, one of the first commands that he gave to human beings was not only that they would take care of the garden, but that the man and his wife and their descendants would multiply and fill the earth. It was part of what God wanted in this creation. It wasn't something to be filled with shame. In fact, right after uh, God says at the end of Genesis chapter 2, that the man shall leave his father and his mother and shall take his wife and the two shall be one flesh. It says right after that, that they were naked. And they were not ashamed. God didn't create sex to be full of shame. He created it because he had a purpose for it. He had a purpose in their relationship, that in their relationship, they would glorify him and that in that they would also be fulfilling what he had commanded them to do. It was God's. So we can't pretend to think that this is something of the world. Sex is not the world's. Sex is not Satan's. Sex is not humanity's. Sex was something that God gave to people to be operating in the place and with the people that he has told us that it should take place in. 
And so when we talk about what's foreign from that, that is the standard. It's biblical. That's what God says. And it's not just at the beginning in Genesis, because a lot of times now people will say, well, that was way back there. I mean, that's like Methuselah stuff right there. That's way old. No, all throughout the scripture, it talks about these things all the way to the last book of uh, of of Revelation. It talks about, no, you can't you can't go against what God installed as the DNA of creation that humans are to operate like this. When it comes to sex, so it's it's not just something where we have now progressed in 2017 to to know better than God when it comes to sex, to know better than God how it is with relationships. We've moved beyond that standard. No, this is what God intended. And so when we talk about sexual or immorality, what did God not intend? And God spends a lot of time in the Bible confronting people who were not operating according to godly sex. To just give you a list of things that it describes in the scriptures that are not a part of sexual godly sex. There's not to be sex outside of marriage before marriage or marriage partners going off, which would then be adultery. There's not to be adultery. There's not to be prostitution. There's not to be homosexuality. There's not to be bestiality. There's not to be close relatives involved in this way. It's not to take place um, um, in the mind. So it's not just about a physical thing. It's not to be done in our minds in the wrong way. There's not to be polygamy. It's not to be a free-for-all. It's not to be group. There's not to be pornography. There's not to be a representation of images that go on. It's not to be done that way. And so the scripture actually speaks towards these things. And so it's interesting because this list that goes forward as it talks about sexual immorality, he kind of goes over the top. Right. If you look at that list in Colossians chapter three, verse five, he goes sexual immorality. And then it says impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness. Most of those, the words that are being used in the Greek have an identification with sexual perversion, with lustful thoughts. And so he's kind of going over the top, kind of like the way when you were doing something you weren't supposed to. And your mom told you, nope, nada, zilch. Uh uh-uh, not going to happen, right? She uses all those words to get across the very same thing. No. And when it comes to doing something that's not according to godly sex, he says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Now, I know that there may be some that have already tuned out and said, like, this is not a problem of mine but it'll probably get you on the covetousness part, the greedy part, because it may not be something where you're sexually involved and that's your problem. But I know an awful lot of you have a hard time of coveting. You say so-and-so has something and you cannot stay, stay away from the dollar store. Okay. And that is just as much a sin because you might think it's not as bad as the big golden calf, but when the Israelites went and made that golden calf, they each took off little earrings and threw it in the pile. It was all involved. And he said, even your covetousness now, that is idolatry. You are involved in doing and worshiping something that is your heart lusting after something else. So even though it may not be the body of a man or a woman, but you are lusting after something that somebody else has. And when it talks about covetousness in the Bible, it says, do not covet your neighbor's wife, okay? But also don't covet his cow. Don't covet his house. 
they had cars, don't covet his car, it probably would have said. So covetousness, that kind of rings us all up, okay? This, my friends, is a huge issue. It's a huge issue not only in the world, it's a huge issue in the church. It's a huge issue because everybody keeps it quiet. It's a huge issue because when it comes out, then everybody else talks about it, about that person. And so it becomes a lot of times isolated and contained. Nobody wants to talk about it. Until one of my kids comes home from second grade and says, hey, you know what somebody at school told me about? No, we need to talk about this. Talk about the fact that God created this for a purpose and and that if it's not going according to that purpose, what Paul says here and what Jesus is saying is you need to put that to death. If, If this is an issue where God says this is what sex is to be like, but you're not operating in that fashion, you need to put that to death, friend. It can't keep existing in your heart and not think that that snake's not going to bite you, that that dog's not going to come and just get you at the heels. It's going to go for your heart. And in talking about beasts, what I want to reference also this morning, one of the stories that I love, and, and it's not explicitly talking about sex and immorality, but I love going back and thinking about beasts, how David approached it. Back in... First Samuel chapter 17, this is the, the chapter about David and Goliath. He's about to, to, to go up against a huge foe. And so nobody else will go fight this guy. And David, this, this young boy shepherd, comes forward and says, I'll do it. And Saul, the king, and others are like, you're, you're just a kid. You're going to get killed. But I love David's response. He says this in 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. But David said to Saul, the king, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, and I love this part, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And later on, when when David is going against Goliath, he says this. This day, in verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will cut, uh, excuse me, I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the field that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and all that is assembled may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. See, when David went against a big foe, whether it be a a lion or a bear or a Goliath, he knew that his power was not in the sling. His power wasn't in himself. But it says later that he ran towards the giant. He ran towards the issue and he went in the strength of the Lord, that the Lord was going to be the one who delivered him. So when we're facing a huge giant, a huge problem, that's not just in the world and not just in the church, but in our hearts, when we're talking about sexual immorality 
We can't just say, I'm going at it with rules. I am not going to do this. Here are the rules to make sure that I don't have sexual immorality in my life. I'm not doing it in my mind. I'm not doing it out of marriage. I'm not doing it with people I'm not supposed to. Here's how I'm not going to do it. And here's the rules how I'm going to do it. Now, make clear, God says, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. That's, I'm not saying that that standard's not there. This is what I'm saying is earlier at the end of chapter 2, it said this. If you are trying to play by the rules and make this happen, it is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Your rules are not strong enough. You saying I will and I won't and these this is what I will and won't do. Just those rules wrong is not strong enough to keep you from doing the things that the heart wants to do. But. The scripture says that God came to earth and died on that cross for us. And that he rose from the dead and that if you are a follower of Christ, that he now lives in you and the same power that rose him from the dead is the same power that is now at work in you to keep you from doing those things. What you need, friend, and what I need is a miracle. There is only one thing that can keep us from sexual immorality. It is a miracle. Where God says, I will keep you. I will deliver you from that beast. Now you go put it to death. Or I'm going to be with you. Because you are hidden together with me and God. You're a treasure of mine. Of course I want to preserve you. I want to keep you safe. I want to keep you protected. I want to keep your marriage safe. I want to keep it, I want to keep it in me. I want to keep your future husband or wife protected. I want to keep your church and your relationships hidden in me. This is about me. Of course, God wants to do a miracle to keep us from doing idolatry in this realm. He does. The reality is our heart loves to be indulged. Because let's face it. Sex is fun. It's enjoyable. It was created for that. It's also easily perverted. I mean, if it wasn't those ways, would not every beer commercial just drop it? I mean, they use it to sell anything. I've seen them use it to sell hamburgers. I don't know how that's related. But God said it's to be like this. And it's not for us to have it any other way. And that's for our own good. And to say, I won't do it or I will do it for you to try to stand up with just that. It's not enough. You will get crushed. But. You go against that beast with the miraculous risen power of Jesus Christ going at that Goliath, just like David ran quickly to go face his foes. You go face that sin and you cut it down as fast as you can. Now, I want to leave you some help because I know right now probably nobody will admit this, but there's a lot of people I have their attention. Because I know a lot of people, if we were just to take a, a, a blank survey, would say, I, I need help here. This is something I'm and I'm not just looking at men. I know women, too. That's what the statistics say. 
I want to offer some help. I have, and I know there's other ways, but I was just, I was just thinking of, of, of things that are helpful. First of all, there's nothing better I can do that, than to say, to do what the scripture says, stay hidden in Christ. Keep your life in him. This cannot be done apart from If you don't know Jesus, it's not going to work. You have to know Jesus first. And then when you know Jesus, you got to keep going to him. Stay hidden. Him. Keep your mind on him. Set, set your eyes on him. So you got to be in the word of God. It, you, you have to be. Keep feeding your soul with that. And secondly, that helps you to know and recognize what is sexually immoral. I mean, it was it was really great today for our Sunday school class to go through what Scripture says concerning sex and to say, man, look how awesome that is. One person said, you know what part of my definition would be? That it's a slice of heaven. And that's really what what's caught together up in saying it's to glorify God. It's an opportunity for 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 seeing God, how he was meant to be seen. In an intimate, pure, glorious way. And so we need to recognize what that is so that we can recognize what sexual immorality is. Third, put to death every, every little temptation. I know when we talk about this, it's just like prostitution, I don't got a problem. Adultery, I don't got a problem. But see, the people that stumble into that never just go there first, right? It's the little things. It's the constant little snacking on it. That gets you. And so it's the little things. I, I, it starts up here in your mind. As, as, as it said last week. Keep your mind on things above. Keep your mind on Christ. Set your eyes on Christ. Why? Because the moment she walks by. Are you still looking at him? It's that fast. You know there's times when Katie has told me. You know what? Your eyes lingered on that woman a little too long. And it's sad. Because I need to take every temptation right there. Every temptation needs to be cut down and put to death. The man who discipled me in high school, this was the first thing he would cover with every man he discipled. And it was all about. What happens when that temptation comes in immediately down? You got to there can't be any entrance into that because it begins to store up and swell up and get bigger and bigger until it's just you don't even know what's right. And you can't stop from doing what is wrong. And I remember one time we were with him. We were at a, 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 a professional basketball game and we were sitting way up in the stands and and down on the court during one of the, the timeouts. Was the cheerleading team. We were way up near the rafters. And down there was the cheerleaders. And I looked over at this man and he was looking at the rafters. And all of us, all of us guys knew what he was doing. And, 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 and I feel bad to say that we mocked him. And yet he was cutting down a temptation in his heart. Saying, I can't even for a moment, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman, which was what Job 
said in the book of Job. And so even those moments, no, put it to death. Panther season's coming up. They've got cheerleaders, just to let you know. For this, this heads into it too. Transform daily by the renewing of your mind. That comes out of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's day after day after day. Today, you might say, I'm starting today. Awesome. Get your mind on Jesus. Have him renew your mind so that he'll set you into what you were made to be in in Christ. So guess what? You're going to do it tomorrow. And then the next day. It's a constant renewing of the mind because the world will begin to steer you in a different direction to tell you that it's okay. Your own heart will come up with excuses and ways to make it okay. And you'll get to a point where, do you know right now in the world, when it comes to pornography, and when they took a survey, more people think it's wrong to not recycle than to look at it. And it's easy when not renewing your mind to start going the way the world goes and to suddenly think, man, I, I better make sure my aluminum cans get in that trash or in the, in, in the right receptacle. Oh, but that that's OK. No, you got to keep renewing because we got to keep our standard, the standard, keep renewing your mind. And finally, this. Don't be alone in this fight. Don't be alone. Some of you this morning, you've heard this and you so long to be free of the prison that you're in. The stuff that's going on in your mind and in your heart and in your marriage and at school. The questions you have, maybe because you're you're young and you don't know you've got questions. Don't don't be alone in this. Don't say no one else understands. No one knows my position. Guess what? It is way too common for you to be alone. But you got to know this as well. I am not in this moment. Going to call for people to come forward. And to say it's my problem. That's not what I'm going to do right here. Because we've talked about. Churches have a gossiping problem. And we talk about in this uh, couple of verses later how it says you must put them all away. For those of you who have not struggled today, we may struggle with this anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. I don't want to put us in a situation where that's happening against people who have been vulnerable. But don't be alone. If you don't feel you have somebody to go to, you are more than welcome to come to me. We will meet in a, in a place and, and talk. There's nothing you can say that's going to make me hate you, think you're creepy, um, look down on you. We're to be together as brothers and sisters, taking each other towards Jesus. And to sit back and say, I'm not, I'm not going to go for help. I'm not going to go get help to... to to slay this beast with Jesus and with somebody else is going to keep you at a place where you're going to be taken down. There was one speaker who had told a pastor in the, in the Bible belt, he was going to go out and speak at this, this pastor's church. And he asked the pastor, well, what do you want me to speak on? And the pastor of this Bible belt church said, well, you know, my, 
my church knows a lot about Jesus and a lot about grace, you know, just, well, you know, whatever you think you should speak on. And, and the man says, well, can I come talk about real topics, some some super important sin issues? And and the, and and the pastor said, well, you know, we live in the, the the buckle of the belt is what we like to say. Our church really doesn't have a whole lot of problems with that sort of thing. And so it ended up that the speaker came out to the church in the Bible belt and he spoke the very first night he spoke about sexual immorality, sexual sin and those struggling in sexual sin. And at the end, he did call people forward. And at this church in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. The speaker said that people at the front were lined up three or four rows deep. The reality is you're not alone. You know who wants you to think that? The tempter. You know who likes to also sometimes be like that? You. Because you can get away with it. You can't be alone. Come talk to me. Go talk to one of the people in this church that you trust and get, get help. Let them take you to Jesus. If today you have been convicted by this, and, and you would like help from me, here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. is not, not to come up front three or four rows deep. Here's what I'm going to ask you. If, if, if you would like help, within the next three hours, three hours from right now, that, till 3 p.m. today, I want you to contact me somehow. You can call me. You can text me. You can meet me by my car. I don't just come and talk. Because if you wait till tomorrow, I'm afraid that dog's going to get your ankles. It's a serious thing because that verse said, the wrath of God is coming on account of things like this. But guess what? Jesus came to spare you from the wrath of God. If you've been saved by Jesus, those things aren't going to send you and condemn you to hell. The Lord's going to come back and take care of those who have not been saved because that's why he's coming. But for you, he wants to pull you out of your living hell. He wants to pull you out of your isolation. He wants to bring you back to Christ. He wants to do a miracle. Be rescued from it. Father, we thank you. We're sorry that we have put upon these sins such a stigma that we would not think that your grace and mercy and power are adequate enough to not only purify us, but also satisfy us. Lord, this morning, as we recognize that this epidemic is sweeping not just the world, but through the church. We thank you, first of all, for helping us to recognize. The large foe. And also helping us to realize that we can't. We can't not do something. We can't just play around with it, but we have to put it to death. 
It's got to be gone. And Father, the only way that we know from your scripture to do that is not to come up with a list of rules, of do's and don'ts, even though you've said what to do and what not to do. But we're too weak, Lord. And so we ask you to come and do a miracle in our hearts, Lord. And this morning I lift up those who may be struggling, maybe couples who are struggling, maybe young folks or maybe uh, maybe older people who it's just been such a long, hard fight. And for the momentary uh, pleasure that it's just not enough because we realize that it's fleeting. And so we pray that you would do a miracle in us, Lord. Together, we put forward our sin and we ask. That you would forgive us and allow us to repent. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to turn away from our sin and to charge at Jesus. To seek him, to set our minds on him. To hope for him, but to also be hidden in him. And to recognize that you have meant for your bride to be pure and spotless. It's a great thing. It's how you created things. And all of that to be an illustration of our relationship with you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to battle. Help us to fight with the weapon. That you've given us yourself. This day we defy our enemy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.